Welcome to the Net Effects Podcast, where Les Ottolenghi and Mark Bavasoto break down how the Fortune 500, the hottest startups, and the best VCs succeed through digital, social, and personal transformation. And now, here are your show hosts, Mark Bavasoto and Les Ottolenghi. It's our pleasure to introduce the snow predicting, some may even call him the new version of the Farmer's Almanac, the founder of Curly Enterprises and the creator of the Frosty Flake, Mr. Marcus Curly. <laughs> Welcome to the program, Marcus. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Great intro. I uh, love that. That's awesome. I you have use that. You yeah. got to trademark that and use that now, Marcus. <laughs> I, mean. I must ask right off the bat, as an alum at the University of Wyoming, who is the number one young quarterback in the NFL today? Oh, yeah, that's easy. That's easy. He could be using his left hand, too. It's Josh Allen, of course. So. Oh, wow. Now, that's you know that this is an unfair question. Mark is from <laughs> Buffalo, right? So he's naturally <laughs> just, you know, biased on this one. The podcast is over. Thanks, Marcus. Full, full, uh, full, <laughs> yeah. full disclosure, this- Mark. This year's going to be even better because we've got Tanner Gentry, who was a wide receiver with Josh, and uh, Jacob Hollister, who was a tight end with Josh as well. So it's, it's turning into a Wyoming team out there. Yeah, what's stuff. the deal? Why are they all ending up in Wyoming? Hey, you got to stick with what works, huh? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> what you're comfortable with. Well, Marcus, we have a feature on all our podcasts called Unmasking the Executive. Uh, this is a story that the world doesn't know about you that help us get a better understanding of what shaped you as a person. You know, I would say that, you know, family is huge for me. You know, one of the biggest reasons, probably the biggest reason I've stayed in Wyoming all this time is my parents are still in Douglas. My sister and brother-in-law live in Casper, Wyoming, and my brother lives in Rapid City, South Dakota, which is still really close. And, you know, I had the blessing of having a super supportive family, still do. You know, we're very close, uh, very engaged with each other strong relationships, very real, and they uh, just a great background and upbringing and parents who really instilled great values and, um, you know, things that I try to bring to my daily life, whether, you know, it's in a leadership role or uh, entrepreneurial type uh, sense. And one of the things that, that I remember my mom used to say when she would dump me out at school was, you know, be a man of character. And, and uh, that's something that I've always tried to keep with me. So. Those are big leadership values, Marcus. I mean, we do a a lot of interviews with CEOs and CIOs for Fortune 500, uh, large enterprise IT, and so on. And obviously, you grew up in an area where there aren't a lot of Fortune 500 companies. There may not even be one (laughs) Fortune 500 company. But that being said, that's an interesting quality because those are the same things we're hearing in terms of what makes you successful. It's your character, it's your leadership, and so on. For our audience who number of them are from enterprise IT jobs and others who are actually in the startup world. Give us a little bit of background on how you got into technology and ultimately how you became a CIO. The Cliff Notes version of it, um, you know, I've always been in love with technology all the way back to probably sixth grade. Uh, We had a gateway computer and dial-up internet connection and just learning and tearing it apart as as much as I could. And I had a great experience with a teacher named Gary Glenn, who still lives right down the street from my folks. And he ran a uh, a class called business internship in high school. And I was super fortunate enough that everything worked out to take that class. And I was hooked up with the hospital in Douglas, Wyoming. And Dave Patterson was my boss. He was the CIO at the time. And 
you know, I started out as a wire monkey and he gave me a lot of leash and let me run with things and ended up being before college, you know, running domains and doing exchange server and, you know, all kinds of different things. And so that was a great experience, just cutting my teeth, you know, in business and, and seeing how uh, technology applied. And then the University of Wyoming and Wyoming in general, it's a hidden gem. It's been such great opportunities time and time again. And uh, the University of Wyoming provided so many things from a great education in computer science and business. Um, I have my MBA from Wyoming as well to being able to work with uh, big enterprise systems. And so I worked at the University of Wyoming IT department for a long time during college and then after college full time. And so got to really see everything from data center operations to legacy systems to modern systems, and then ultimately grew into becoming a systems architect where I worked with a lot of security, you know, just architecture as a whole. Um, Automation was huge, you know, when you're looking at big, big enterprise deployments and things like that. And, And that was a great experience. And the other thing too is, you know, I had the opportunity during my summers in college to go and do internships. And And so I've worked for a couple of Fortune 300 companies, one Echo Star Communications down in Denver, uh, working with their IVR and telephony groups. So got to see that side of IT, you know, on a very big scale, big, big time IVRs, big, big time call centers, and then Micron Technologies in Boise that did semiconductors and, and worked with their domain groups out there in Boise and just lots of really cool things that I've kind of brought together. And I would say one of the things that that as I was going through that, that was probably the thing I took away the most other than the technical skills was having the opportunity to watch how business runs as best as you can from those seats. And then also watch how leaders lead, right? And, and how people are treated in, in these differing industries because higher ed is much different than, let's say, uh, you know, semiconductors. And so did all of that through college and then managed a couple of teams at the University of Wyoming. And like I said, was into architecture and and then moved on to Mountain West Farm Bureau Insurance in 2014, where I was the manager of infrastructure technology and uh, did a, a really good job there in about eight months, was promoted to director of IT, took over the development shop for them. And, um, you know, they had a very broad technology base uh, from legacy systems to really core modernization projects. And then in 2017 was promoted to CIO and, you know, really got to dig into just more of, of, I think the fun part of IT is really understanding, okay, what does the business want to do and uh, how do we get there? And, you know, doing all the typical CIO type things from budgeting and road mapping and really laying out strategy. And, and one of the cool things is, is being able to fuse all of that together into the technology teams to where they understand where the company wants to go and what their role is in that. And so, you know, that's really kind of what's taken me to that and uh, left Mountain West in May of 2020. And this summer, actually just a huge blessing. I've got a great friend here in town in Laramie. His name is Daniel Minton. And Daniel and I were having lunch one day and I asked him just a simple question about his business. I said, what's the worst part of your job, Daniel? And he said, he's got a landscaping company in town and uh, snow removal. And he said, you know, Marcus, the worst part of my job is the snow removal getting up at night. And I said, well, yeah, I'm sure it is because, you know, you got blowing snow and it's cold and you know, all those things. And he said, no, 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 it's not that. It's simply literally getting up at night. And I said, well, tell me more about that. And he said, well, what I do is I look at the forecast to see if it's snowing. And then I set my alarm sometimes three, four, five times a night. And I wake up with my alarm. And I look out the window to see if it's snowing. 
And I said, that is absolutely crazy. And so long story longer, we had a freak snowstorm that was, you know, a good couple of feet at the beginning of September because Laramie is at 7,200 feet. And coincidentally, Daniel and I had lunch the day after that storm and he drags in to lunch. And the first thing I said to him, giving him a hard time, I said, Daniel, uh, how many times you wake up last night? <laughs> and, and he said, five, he said oh, five. Wow. And I said, okay, this is crazy. I'm going to go home. There's got to be a better way to do this. I'm going to write a proof of concept for you. And that was really how Frosty Flake was born. That's its origin story. And then uh, started a company October 1st, formed the LLC and, and went to market with it November 1st. And, you know, the rest is history. Now we're in seven states and growing. So pretty exciting. That is exciting. And Frosty Flake is your application, is your startup. That's a new thing that you have started here last October in the middle of a pandemic, no less, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot more fun to have something to work on when you're sitting around in a pandemic and, <laughs> you know, looking at your next opportunity to have something like Frosty Flake to work on. So it's definitely been a lot of fun and a huge blessing to me. So, Well, you said a couple of things I think that are very interesting and themes that we're hearing a lot when it comes to transformation in the enterprise it comes to digital business models and succeeding, which is from a career path, this idea of curiosity, which you just is where you got started and, and how you just described your career, but also innovation, business alignment, mentorship, and culture. Now, when you look at sort of your career and giving advice to others who are going to be following a path very similar to yours, and I would say you're, Marcus, you're unique because you are an enterprise IT guy, but you're also a startup guy, which is, there are not a lot of both of those, but I think it's become more and more common, like you're cutting on the edge here. Between curiosity and innovation, business alignment, mentorship and culture, how do you determine which is more important or are they all important? And tell us a little bit more about that mentorship and culture. And I would say culture is by far and away the, the most important to me because without that, you're really not going to get the buy-in when you're talking about business alignment, right? You can, you can have all the plans and rah, rah, rah meetings and things like that. But if you don't have the culture to really cement that trust in those relationships, throughout an organization, you know, it's not going to have the gas that it needs to really get going. And from a curiosity standpoint, you always have to have that. But I think that it weaves in there and it has a place for it. But curiosity can be, whether it's at an enterprise level or just even a startup level, can be disastrous without direction and governance, right? If you don't lay out the ground rules and basically the lines on the court that you're going to play within, then uh, it can get kind of crazy and you can get some uh, some mad scientist going on, right? And take you down. So. so when I look at what you've done inside the enterprise, obviously you sort of self-made, you got the mentorship along the way, you scaled up and now you're in a startup. What's the, the biggest adjustment you had to make going from enterprise IT to doing your own thing? Because there had to have been a big change. Yeah, there is a big change. I would say that it actually was a, it was, it's kind of fun, right? You don't maybe necessarily have the resources that you would in the enterprise, you know, from funding all the way to other support. But, you know, I have a great, 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 great group of mentors. One is, uh, his name is John Fisheries in Chicago and others that help me with blind spots, right? Because when you're a sole proprietor out there trying to figure things out, you need to have those sounding boards and those, those uh, folks that can do that. So I would say, that was one, you know, but on the, on the plus side of things, you can move fast. And I love that. I love that. I love as a CIO, um, I love moving as fast as I can and being busy and, and really driving change and innovation and, and results. 
But when you're a startup, you can move as fast as you can move. And you don't really have, there's no politics, right? Unless I come up with a second personality that I have to deal with. But, <laughs> but right now it's good. So let's dig in a little bit to this product, Frosty Flake. You know, me being a startup lover and a startup guy and loving everything about entrepreneurship. Let's dive into the origin story a little bit though. I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but let's talk about the actual innovation of the product. How does it work in those type of details? One of the key differentiators from what's out there in the market right now is that Frosty Flake deals in real time weather. So, you know, everybody knows about all your kind of go-to forecast methods from, you know, looking at your, your app to watching the news to even your trick knee, right? That might start throbbing if, it, if you think it's <laughs> going to start to snow. So Frosty Flake is different in the sense that we use, you know, all the industry leading weather data to really tell us what the weather is currently across nearly 20,000 locations in the U.S. And we can expand from there globally as well. But right now we're centered on the U.S. And we're also blending it in using that weather data and blending it with our own proprietary artificial intelligence to look at just lots and lots and lots of images from all over the country with these locations. And that helps us to make that weather data even more accurate than what it is today. And so it's essentially like having people sitting and looking out the window at all these locations, 24-7, 365, and reporting back on what they see. And so it's a cool spin on something that's been, I think, pretty traditionally focused on, on forecasts. So. And did you have to get a, a whole sensor network put in place or are you using traditional methods and you're just applying a more innovative way to deal with that or actually address the data itself? No, it's completely software driven right now. We did not have to deploy any, any sensors or hardware to any place. We use things that you can buy off the shelf right now, services that you can buy off the shelf. And then we also leverage a lot of the um, DOT webcams for different states. Oh, wow. for our imagery. So I think Elon Musk needs to talk to you. You can stop building rockets and do a lot cheaper. Apparently go, <laughs> go your direction on this one. That's phenomenal. I mean, you know, I, you think about it, all the weather forecasts out there and everything else. And I'm a winter sport active person. I love snowboard. My, my son and I, and my wife skis. And, you know, we think about this sort of things all the time. Like, is it actually snowing out there at the resort where we want to go? Or should we choose a different one? Or then what are the roads like going over there? And then, you know, we have to find this little DOT map, which doesn't have the kind of data you have. What made you sure that you were going to be able to get through this and start to model it and it would work out? Or was it just more experimenting? Yeah, it was more experimenting. And then as you, you know, experience things, you know, kind of trial by fire and fail fast, right? And that's the other great thing about a startup company is you can, you can, you can be super nimble. And so, you know, I've had the, the great opportunity to work with a lot of really cool subscribers from smaller to very big uh, all across the country. And they've given me some great feedback, not just on you know how it works for the weather side of things, but then how they use it to actually benefit their business. So it's all been kind of just go with it as it comes. Is that part of the key to success? Is this quick closed loop with each one of these customers, get that feedback, get the feedback, keep making adjustments? Is that helping you drive the, the, you know, the success of the product and adoption? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's that kind of traditional agile, continuous improvement type, you know, mindset and methodology, if you will, if you want to talk about it in an enterprise IT sense. But, uh, but yeah, you just, you just continually iterate on it and take the things, you know, as you're building product roadmaps and stuff, take the things that, that make the most sense to, uh, to your target markets and, and where you think you want to go with your product and your business 
and uh, just continue to, to work with them. So, and is that something that enterprise IT can learn from this whole idea of a product model where you quickly iterate beyond just doing agile, that you actually get this feedback loop and you continue to pivot, pivot, pivot and turn and, and adjust. Is that something that you think you could take back into enterprise IT as a lesson? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and one of the things that I would say, and, and I, I, you know, I would speak to the enterprise as a whole here is without good business partners, right? And that's some of the first subscribers that I set out to find. Um, I didn't just take any Tom, Dick and Harry with a, with a snow shovel. We, <laughs> we wanted good business partners who could give that good sound feedback to us. And again, speaking to the enterprise, the IT part of it, the technology part, which, you know, using Frosty Flake as, as the example, we can go all day long and write features and build things into it and try to make it what we think is the best. But without that solid business acumen and that uh, that feedback from true quote unquote product owners, if you will, you know it's not going to be as valuable as it could be. And so, Frosty Flake has been blessed to have that valuable input from the, the business experts. So, and where does it go from here? Uh, obviously, you're going to continue to scale Frosty Flake, but what do you see as the future for this product? It could go a lot of different directions. You know, right now. We're looking at it from the benefits to commercial property managers. And that could be yeah. from, you know, like you mentioned less with, you know, big, big ski hills uh, in different locations to, you know, just providers that have in you know, different condos and things, Airbnbs all across the country. And so we're looking at it from that perspective, but, you know, we might, I think it'd be interesting to see where it goes from a data quality standpoint as our AI continues to learn and improve all the time. I'm really excited to see if we can, you know, outperform traditional weather data. I think that'd be pretty cool. So I'm thinking logistics. I'm thinking logistics and delivery systems and rain. Yeah. I'm thinking you yeah. know, people with Teslas who, who like to know whether or not they should take this route or that route based on rain and snow and other, you know, hazards. I think you've got a great extensibility on it. And I, I would think that the modeling you're doing now is going to be smarter and smarter than everything else. So that, I think that's a big deal. I agree. And, you know, again, my passion for startups, I love seeing people that take something, take an idea and build it into something. And, and so congrats on all the traction to date. And I'm sure you're very excited about that. I want to flip the conversation a little bit here and talk about culture a little more. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you build cultures and, and obviously with Frosty Flakes, a little, a little bit different when you're at a startup. But let's talk about it from the enterprise IT level. You know, what is the key to building a great culture? To me, the key to building a great culture is really defining who you want to be to start with. You know, who, who are you going to be and what are your key values? And what we did, you know, to give you an example at Mountain West in the IT department is we set out to, you know, really talk about IT internally as a person and how that person behaved, what were key tenets of how that person related to others and, and how we worked with others and how we treated each other um, internally. So I would say you start out with defining that. Uh, from a high-level culture standpoint, but make it real. You know, I think that's another thing is you, you you go to a lot of organizations that have, you know, all kinds of consultants and folks that come in and they talk about culture and you do, you know, you take 500 different tests and try to evaluate where you're at. And I think that that simple is good, right? Simple is good and keeping it real is, is even better. And, um, you know, from there, it's, meeting people um, where they're at and being relational with folks and building that rapport and building that trust as best you can and understanding that, you know, folks have got scars, folks have got baggage, folks have got strengths and weaknesses. And that goes for me as well. And one of the key things that 
um, you know, I try to bring to any culture is the concept of grace. And, you know, I'm not perfect. <laughs> and you can talk to anybody that's worked with me or worked for me. And uh, they'll tell you, they'll tell you, yeah, Marcus isn't perfect. But I think that if you bring the idea that grace is something that you get when you don't deserve it. And, um, and when people make mistakes, how do you treat them? And that's another big part is, is if they can see through living an example that they can make mistakes and not get completely crushed or beat down or shamed and all those other things that just go on. You know, if it's not a fear-based culture, it's a grace-based culture, then you're just going to have that relationship and that trust continue to build and build and build. And I would say the last part of building a really solid foundational culture in an enterprise is you have to back it up with results and you have to back it up with plans that make sense. And how we did that is taking, you know, big ethereal strategies and trying to really hammer out, okay, what, what does that actually mean, right? What does that mean to business units? What does it mean to customers? What does it mean to the enterprise? And then distilling that down into actionable, executable strategy. And how we did that was, you know, involving folks from our team, you know, the right folks from our team to uh, have input on to where their, where their groups are going and in the support of that, as well as defining their roles and having them understand how they contribute to that overall, you know, higher uh, strategy in those goals. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So let's look at a little more, a little more deeply here and talk about kind of this remote first culture that the pandemic has exponentially pushed forward. In your opinion, you know, what do you see as being the biggest pro and the biggest challenge when trying to build a culture around remote first? I think one of the biggest challenges may be, you know, building those relationships. I think that it, you know, it's going to be a little bit trickier when you can't, you know, go to lunch with somebody or you can't go to coffee with somebody, especially if they're diffused all over the place, right? If you've got multiple people all working from home versus, you know, in a single site. So I think that'll be a challenge, but it's definitely not insurmountable. You know, and strengths to to the remote first piece is that I think that, and I hope that people are a little more real, right? I think that's one of the things that that, uh, you know, I've seen in especially bigger enterprises, I think that you lose as you lose that human element. And, and the great thing about working from home is that you get distractions, you know, you get little kids that come into the, into the, uh, the view of the Zoom meeting and things yep. like that. And you get to know some people a little bit more in that sense, better than you ever could at the office. So, you know, there's some trade-offs, but there's also some benefits, I think. So when you think about this period of time we've been in, there's the pandemic and arguably some social transformation. Aside from the remote work, what other transformations do you think at a social level are important for leaders in enterprise IT or for that matter in startups to consider as we start to now evolve again and again as a society? I'm going to go back to, I think that, again, what I hope for is I hope for, and I'm talking to Marcus Curley here too, right? Because I'm not perfect in this, but I'm hoping for, you know, real grace to come through. I think that our country and our world need that, um, you know, grace for folks and just really understanding that, you know, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect and building from there, because I think if you've got that and it's genuine um, and it's relational, that, that, uh, you know, you can have, you can, you can see some really cool things come out of that. So. When you uh, obviously experienced the pandemic, you made very productive time during this period. 
by creating a company, creating Frosty Flake and actually growing it, uh, which maybe not all companies had that positive experience unless they were already like an infrastructure IT company or they were Tesla or something. What is it about the pandemic that made you a, a better husband, father, business partner? What changed you during that period of time or made you better? Like I told you, Les, I'm going to be transparent and real on this. So, you know, you can probably get it out of the themes that I talk about and what really drives me. But I would, one of the core, core things that, that drives a lot of my value systems is I'm a Christian. And, um, you know, I would say that this entire pandemic has, has really helped me to, to get closer to God and understand, you know, what he's, try to understand what he's doing in my my personal life and, and how I can have a positive impact on others. And so I would say that's been a huge, huge piece to it. Um, and having the time to do it, you know, that's been a huge blessing from a family perspective, you know, it's been awesome. It's been yeah. great. Cause I was able to watch my brand new son grow up through his first year, you know, yeah. and be here every single day for most of the time, you know, and also get to spend that with my, uh, my three-year-old daughter and, and my wife. And, and that's huge. You know, those are foundational years. And hopefully, you know, the, the great things that my parents were able to, to give to me, you know, Alice and my wife and I can have that impact on Madeline and Carter. So I'm sure that will be a positive and lifelong impact. That, that's awesome. All right, Marcus, we are at the part of the show where we go through rapid fire and our listening audience gets to learn a little bit more about you. We're going to ask a set of questions, whatever comes to your mind first. That's the answer. Um, So favorite song. Power of Love, Huey Lewis. Okay. Now you have to sing it. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, nah. Nah. Oh, you want me to sing it? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe next time. We'll get my wife to sing it later. (laughs) Favorite movie. Oh, Back to the Future all day long. Okay, well then around these themes, of course, then what is your favorite actor or actress? Oh man, that's a good question. You know, I like Bill Murray a lot. You know, Ghostbusters, Caddyshack, Kingpin, all those movies. Kingpin, (laughs) Kingpin, absolute classic. Sometimes my dad's hair goes a little crazy. And I was, (laughs) and I was saying like Bill Murray from Kingpin. And we have a good, we have a good laugh about that. Uh, Favorite book. You know, I'm not that big a reader, quite frankly. One book that I loved was Ender's Game. And then what would you recommend to our listening audience in the next 12 months that they should think about or prioritize in their lives or in their careers? What would you tell mm-hmm. them now we're coming out of pandemic that they should be really thinking about? I would say, first of all, have fun with encouraging others. You know, that's that's one great thing that you can do anytime, but especially in a pandemic. Think about little ways that you can do it. It might be just writing a letter to somebody. It might be having a phone call. It might be putting something on LinkedIn about someone. You know, there's tons and tons of ways that you can do little pieces of encouragement to folks, whether you work with them, whether you live with them, doesn't matter. But, you know, that that's one I would, I would definitely take away. And then the other thing is, is, you know, really try to sit down and spend some time in understanding what are your passions, right? And for me, being a leader and driving culture that treats people well and like people and gets them excited. That's something that is a huge, huge piece of mind of, of me and what is a passion for me. And I would say, sit down and, and list those out and think about it and then pour into that, pour into that. And, and how does that look for your career? How does that look for your personal life? And uh, 
and have fun with it. And I think, I think that'll take you some really cool places. So Marcus Curley, we want to thank you very much for being part of NetFX podcast, where we learn about digital transformation, social transformation, and personal transformation. You are the extraordinaire founder of Curly Enterprises and the creator of Frosty Flake. Thank you very much for being on the show. Well, thanks, Les. Thanks, Mark, so much. This has been a lot of fun and great experience. And uh, we look know, forward I, uh, to having I'll you on the show it. again, if, if you will. Yeah, I'd love to. Love to. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Very best Appreciate of luck it. with uh, Frosty Flake and all that you're doing. With it.